Hello again, and welcome to If I May. In today's episode, I really want to dive into these personality type theories that I uh, have discussed or brought up in the past. Um, I have results from two of them that I've taken. Uh, looks like one was recently, and then, uh, yeah, well, both were recently. In the, in the past couple of years, I've gotten similar the same results for the last few times taking them with a little different, I'm sure the specificity of it was a little different, but uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to dive into it and kind of discuss it and maybe, you know, pull on some curiosity from the audience and maybe get more people involved in, in understanding and kind of relating and sharing and getting into understanding themselves in this, in this manner. Um, I find that it, it's a really good point of relation. It's easy to talk about, um, you know, from in in a in a deep context as well as you know a more shallow context. So uh, I think it'll be really something fun to dive into. And like I said, hopefully it piques your interest. You can relate. I'm sure you'll relate in some in in more than one way. And uh, yeah, and I can definitely give you references on on different places or sites to look into it and to getting the testing Uh, most of the time the test is free Um, for the results you kind of have to pay for the full results and the full breakdown but you can do research on just the results and you know for free and find the same similar information and understanding Um, it's usually not much if you do pay for it Uh, i used uh, intuity I'm sorry, Intuity, no. Uh, Truity. I, I, for some reason, I get into it, the site Intuit and Truity mixed up. <laughs> I've done that a couple times recently. But yeah, it's Truity. Um, also, I'm a big... F- I've been a, a, a fan of Jordan Peterson, the uh, s- clinical psychologist out of from Canada. And um, he also has a test on his site, which I've taken... I may try to find those results and go over them today if I don't take up too much time with these first two. But um, his is similar to... They're all similar in some ways. Um, yeah, there's three... The three most popular ones that I know of that are usually the most used um, in today's psych- psychological world it are Myers-Briggs, um, the Enneagram, and then the big five. Uh, Myers-Briggs was kind of the first one that I got into out of the three. Uh, it started with 16 personalities. Uh, 16 personalities is based on Myers-Briggs. It's, they make some small adjustments, and there is some debate on how legit it is, um, especially for intro uh, dives into personality theory and, and understanding yourself. And so I found a lot of um, context just uh, correlates better with Truity. That Truity is a more relatable source. Sorry, I said that in a very weird manner. But yeah, Truity is a more relatable source. Um, 16 personalities is a less less reliable just because of some of the things that they do to kind of tweak the assessment. Uh, but yeah, so let me just start by getting into my results for the Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs was founded by um, 
Let me see. So the Myers-Briggs or MT Myers-Briggs type indicator or Myers sorry or MTBI um was initially constructed by Isabel Isabel Briggs Myers and Catherine Cook Briggs and popularized by uh, psychologist Carl Jung. It's uh, one of the most popular tests. Um, in psychological typing. Uh, according to this theory, there are 16 different, uh, 16 variances, 16 different personality types with which one can fall under. And I fall under the Myers-Briggs. And I fall under the <laughs> INFJ, sorry, personality type. So to explain the INFJ to you, I stands for introversion. Introversion is the energy style that I kind of dictates the way that I function uh, and how I manage my energy. N is for intuition. Uh, the intuition is my cognitive style. Uh, also describes how I process information. F is for feeling. Uh, feeling is based on my value style and how I how I choose how I the orientation of my personal values. Sorry. Uh, J is for judging, and uh, it that has to do with how I organize my and perceive how I organize and see life. The contrast to each of these, the contrast to I would be E, which would be in, uh, extroversion. The contrast to in intuition would be S, which is sensing. The contrast to feeling or F would be thinking. And the contrast to judging would be P or perceiving. So I am an INFJ. As an INFJ, um, it was, not that long ago, the rarest personality type. I think for males, it's still in the top two, and even as across the board for both, in general, it's in the top three, I believe. Um, and so, yes, it's one of the most, it is one of the most rarest personality types. When I first found out I was an INFJ, it, it was considered the, uh, the rarest personality type. Uh, but since then, uh, that statistic has changed. So based on the results of this test, um, like I said, I'm I, so introverted. Um, introverts enjoy contemplating ideas and experiences, being in calm surroundings, exploring a subject in depth, reflecting on thoughts or feelings, maintaining distance and privacy, quiet and solitude. Whereas extroverts tend to enjoy interacting with people, being in busy surroundings, engaging with the outside world, expressing thoughts and feelings, being noticed by others, stimulation and activity. My responses in this assessment were 63% consistent with a preference for introversion and 37% consistent with a preference for extroversion. 
Now, over time, this this percentile, this percentage, this number will change. Uh, a lot of it's circumstantial, uh, you know, and depending on where I am at in life, I know there were times where I was much more intro- uh, extroverted than I am now, uh, or at least when I took the test, and as well as, you know, more introverted than when I took the test. Uh, I know uh, INFJ, as well as uh, ENFP and a couple other types tend to be, I think INFJ is the most, it's the most common and most um, most typical characteristic is they tend to be uh, more of ambiverts as opposed to true in- introverts or true extroverts. Uh, similarly, uh, ENFPs, so extroverted, intuitive, feeling, think, uh, sorry, feeling perceivers tend to uh, also be pretty ambiverted. They tend to be the most introverted of extroverts, while INFJ tend to be the most extroverted of introverts. So in this assessment, there are, according to this assessment, six facets of energy style. Those facets are... Sorry. Um... Placid versus energetic. I am 59% placid versus 41% energetic. Uh, In placid mode, you shy away from being busy just for the sake of being busy and prefer to take a mellow approach to life. You find you have less energy than other people around you and you you like to conserve it for what matters most to you. The trait is usually associated with introversion and to a lesser extent, perceiving as far as energetic with which i'm 41 percent when you're feeling more energetic you have a high energy level and like to keep busy you may leap out of bed in the morning ready to take on the day you have a lot of things you want to get done and often find that people can't keep up the trait is usually associated with extroversion and to a lesser degree judging the next facet is reserved versus expressive I am 53% reserved versus 47% expressive. Reserve mode, you tend to keep your thoughts, feelings, and observations to yourself. Other people may have difficulty reading you, and even people close to you may not know how you really feel about things. Expressive, you readily share your thoughts, feelings, and ideas. You freely communicate exactly what's going on in your head without editing yourself or worrying about whether you'll be understood. The next facet would be private versus prominent. I'm 68% private as a private person. I'm selective about how I socialize, preferring small groups or no group at all. I tend to shy away from large parties and big social events, may leave, which may also leave me feeling drained. You like to pick and choose when and how you interact with others. And I say that's all very true. Um, but the irony of it is, like I said, I really like going out and clubbing in my last podcast. I, I really enjoy that kind of thing. So there are certain circumstances that kind of contrast, contradict uh, how I am. But 68% private, whereas 32% prominent. So prominent people love being around others in, and in the center of attention or in the center of the action. Sorry, They like to feel like they're an important part of the group and that their friends, family, and acquaintances seek their company. They tend to make an effort to entertain others and enjoy their attention. 
The next is calm versus joyful. 76% calm versus 24% joyful. As a calm person, you tend to take you tend to make a big deal out of good you tend sorry. As a calm person, you don't tend to make a big deal out of the good things that happen to you. While others may cry tears of joy or jump up and down with excitement, you respond more quietly. Happiness to you is a pleasant sense of contentment. Whereas 24% joyful, joyful people feel high points in, in life fully and completely. They are capable of tremendous enthusiasm and make the most important and make the most of opportunities to feel joy. In this specific um, facet, I've realized something really that stood out in my childhood. And that's how when I was younger, around the holidays, uh, you know, Christmas Day and stuff like that would come. And and I remember one, a couple instances, one very specific. Uh, actually, I was a little older and my family took me to, and my parents took the family to Disney World. And how I didn't act very, you know, excited or enthusiastic when I was there most of the time, maybe all the time. You know, I was pretty mellow or straight-faced. And um, for me, I was just enjoying myself. But, you know, my my mom saw it as I was being ungrateful and unappreciative because of how unexpressive I was being. And there were other instances of this growing up. And I realized how how it was okay, you know, like there was nothing wrong with how I was being, you know, like that's just how I am. That's my personality. Like I don't tend to express great joy in, in an outward manner. You know, I tend to enjoy it. I tend to enjoy joy and happiness calmly within myself. I don't often um, throw out my emotions to other people. And, you know, learning about INFJ and that I am an INFJ helped me understand this. And also, you know, kind of made me wish that when I was younger, my, my, that people, you know, my parents, namely, but not just my parents, that other people would take the time to actually to get to know me and to really understand me for me. You know, as I said before, parents often try to create their child into something that they see as ideal, you know, putting aside or forgetting that that person is their own person, will be their own person. No matter if that person came from them or from someone else, they're still going to have individualistic traits that make them their own that make them different, that make them not so easily understood by the limited understanding we each have. And in taking the time to really understand how that child is or how they work, how that individual is and how that individual works and thinks, you know, you can build a much better relationship, bond, and help that person grow and develop astronomically better than just trying to control their to control who they are <clears throat> but moving on to the final um, facet uh, aloofness versus friendliness 
Aloof, you prefer to let others come to you. Ironic, that's what I said last uh, in our last podcast, in the last episode. You're reluctant to approach, approach people and try to strike up conversations. You let other people take the lead in developing. Friendly, when you're more friendly, you look forward to meeting new people. You're enthusiastic about others. You easily find things in common with new people. I know similarly to the calm and joy expression of emotion with aloofness. I know that within both my adopted and biological family that aloofness has been a a rubbing point. You know, it's stressful being around my family especially my adopted family and therefore I tend to be much more aloof with them they've been much more much less accepting of of me as an individual and much more much less inviting of learning about me as an individual and therefore I tend to just maintain my distance I question it all the time because I would like for us to have a better relationship. and I feel I've tried at times to create that, but that it's rarely, if ever, taken seriously in the times that I do put myself out there. And, you know, I've had siblings also tell me how displeased they find they are with my aloofness. And I, you know, have expressed that I don't mean anything by it. And, you know, if they ever want to talk or need anything, you know, that I'm here and available and more than willing to. And that it's nothing against them. Um, but that's that's just how I am. Uh, and, you know, like I said, for my family, I guess it's just harder for them to just accept me. And maybe they accept me, but they just don't want a part of it. <laughs> you know, I don't really know. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, life goes on. And like I said, I've found another family. And to me, family is the people who take you in. It's not the people you're blood related to or the people who necessarily adopt you, you know, or raised you. They are family, but no more and no less family to me than the people who day in and day out presently accept me and help me and, you know, live with me and are a part of my, actively a part of my life. But if I may move on. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. There's one other section, part of the introversion, extroversion, and that's uh, solitary versus engaged. Solitary person, you are highly sensitive to insights, sounds, and other stimulants from around the world. From the world around you, sorry. (laughs) Um, And you often find busy environments overwhelming. Most of the time you prefer quiet solitude 
where others may seek to be in the middle of the action, you'd rather find a tranquil, a tranquil corner where you can reflect. Whereas engaged, I'm 17% engaged versus 83 sol solitary. Engaged people like being in the middle of the action are drawn to busy, noisy, and otherwise stimulating environments. They like boisterous places such as crowds, events, loud concerts, and big parties. So that also is, you know, another leaning and sign of how reserved and to myself I can be, <laughs> you know. And in stressful environments, it just increases exponentially. When I'm stressed, I am much more solitary. I'm much more aloof. I'm much more reserved. And I can be very sensitive to, yeah, to outer stimulants. Whether it be certain noises, um, being touched unnecessarily, like all that kind of thing. And similarly, you know, that kind of thing also is why I question at one point or I have questioned, you know, maybe I have, you know, autism of some sort. Or, but, you know, regardless, uh, it is if I do or don't, I'm still I'm, I'm just human at the end of the day. And I'm just trying to learn and better myself, you know, use the tools that I have access to and to the best of my ability. Sorry, moving on. Now to sensing versus intuition. Sensors tend to focus on observing sights, sounds, sensations, noticing details, experiencing present moments, concrete, um, probable facts, realism and practicality, knowledge from past experiences. While intuitives observe patterns and connections, interpret meaning, imagine potential, ideas and concepts, innovation and creativity, possibilities for the future. My responses were 7% consistent with sensing, while 93% uh, consistent with intuition. So I'm very strongly intuitive, often a characteristic noted by women. So definitely one of the things that makes a male INFJ stand out to other people in a more basic sense. So the facets of the cognitive style of sensing versus intuition. Um, realistic versus imagining. 14% um, realistic versus 86% imagining. As an imaginative, imaginative person, uh, you have an abstract way of thinking and tend to focus on ideas, concepts, and theories rather than create things. Your imagination is a fertile place and you have no trouble envisioning things you've never seen in real life. The trait is usually associated with intuition. In contrast, realistic people have a concrete way of thinking and tend to focus on things you can see and touch rather than abstract ideas, concepts, and theories. They tend to spend much time in the world of they don't tend to spend much time in the world of imagination, preferring to focus on real life. And this too is also where I kind of like see the contrast with ADHD. ADHD people tend to think very abstract, abstractly. And where I said kind of like uh, in a spider web, whereas typical thinkers think more on a linear path or in this sense, you know, more realistically. The next uh, facet is concrete versus conceptual, whereas I am 4% concrete versus 96% 
conceptual. As a conceptual person, you're interested in discovering the larger principles behind what you see and enjoy learning about scientific, mathematical, and philosophical theories that can give you more insight into the events you observe in your daily life. These traits are usually associated with intuition as well. On the other half of that, concrete people learn by doing. To really understand something, they, really, they want to experience it with their own hands. They tend to not believe in things that they can't see for themselves. Sometimes I think that this, the 96 versus 4, is a little off because there are some instances where I'm very much more concrete and I guess it's more circumstantial like I've said before with other things. Um, but yes, I, I'm definitely more conceptual uh, on average, much more. Traditional, the next uh, sorry, facet is traditional versus progressive. 6% traditional versus 94% progressive. As a progressive person, you love new ideas, and you feel that innovation and futuristic thinking is the key to making the world a better place. 100% accurate for me. You're attracted to politicians with radical ideas and love to imagine how things could be and done better. That's halfway true. I love to imagine how things could be done better, more efficiently, more proficiently. Politicians I don't trust or buy into. Politics in general, um, I feel that, especially the way that it is, the binary system we have, is inaccurate, is wrong. There's way more than two ways to look at things. And simplifying it, it I understand the purpose behind simplifying it, but there's a danger in oversimplifying things, just as there's a danger in overcomplicating them. And I think the way that it is set up right now is way too simplified. And that is more so used to just control people in a gauged manner than to bring realistic thought and progressive thinking to society. Which, I guess, falls in line also with my progressive versus traditional way of thinking. The next is factual versus insightful. This one uh, is really weird, and I don't know how accurate it is for me, uh, percentile-wise, because I'm 100% in... Sorry. <coughs> I'm 100% insightful versus 0% factual. And that I... Maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe I just don't... I haven't realized it. Um, but yeah, as an insightful person, you enjoy exploring cause and effect and always ask why. Very true. People would always get mad at me for asking why. In school, in college, in daily life, in my spiritual walk as a previous Christian. And one of the great reasons, one of the great reasons, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I left Christianity and religion as a whole was because of the conflict in asking why. You're not content to accept things as they are. The other half, factual people, tend to accept things as they are and do not spend much time asking why to them. And there are times where... Maybe that's not... I mean, based on that definition, I guess that's actually very true. I, I can't really think of an instance where, where I struggle to 
not ask why, you know, like where I just want to accept something. Unless I'm just overwhelmed, but then, you know, it's purely situational. So, like, I don't really want to just let it go, but I feel kind of backed against the wall and don't have much choice. And I, I realized, like, in a lot of respects, uh, when I went to school, when I was I was homeschooled in uh, middle school, and I was always questioning things. And, you know, my questions would often bring about or for some reason you know start arguments that's how people always took it including my my mom my teacher uh when i was in uh i went to bible college and i was in church and i was very active and always asking and seeking knowledge and understanding you know and and one big reason that which i'll talk about soon too that i kind of stepped away from church and religion in general is because of people's deep apprehension to ask why like you know raised in raised in church like it's like you don't question god i'm like why why not (laughs) you know (laughs) why don't you question god like and then you know i learn a little more and read about abraham the father of the israelites was in originally isaac renamed abraham was in the desert wandering around the desert and had a dream where he literally wrestled with God. So if he can literally get into a physical altercation with God, why can't I ask God why? Like, that's that's way lesser of an offense in in those kind of terms. And so I've seen this kind of show through a lot in my life. And uh, most presently with work, you know, I'm, why doesn't this, like, why can't we better this or you know, why don't we try this, or, you know, and and they hate it, man, like, that's, and that's one reason I hate working for people, and I hate the, um, I hate to say hate so much, but I detest, despise, dislike the environment of, of the, you know, business, uh, business politics, uh, and corporate politics, is for that very reason, you know, it's so hypocritical. It's so help us better our company, but don't ask questions and don't bring us any solutions unless we ask you to. But then make sure they're in line with only what we're talking about and what we want. You know, and I've heard of situations where it's not like that, but I've yet to find one myself and I've been looking so hard. But moving on, if I may. And let me apologize in advance for the background noise. My phone just went off, so <clears throat> uh, that's what that was. Um, but yeah, so finishing up with the factual versus um, in- intuitive, insightful. Finishing up with that, uh, it does also say instead of preferring to search for deeper meaning, factual people tend to. Sorry, instead of preferring to search for deeper deeper answers and a sense of the big picture, uh, oh, I'm, I'm twisted. Hold on, sorry. Okay, so I said, um, you're not content to accept things as they are. Instead, preferring to search for deep answers and a sense of the big picture. 
This trait is usually associated with intuition, and that is the in insightful trait. And then finishing off the factual side of it, um, where it said factual people tend to accept things as they are and don't tend to spend much time asking why. To them, it's more important to understand the facts of situations than to speculate about its causes. So factual people tend to be much more like go with the flow, you know, like don't shake the norm. If it's broke, don't fix if it's not broke, don't fix it. And insightful people tend to be the ones who kind of press the issue, the rebellious type. Uh, that's how I how I take it. The next uh, facet is practical versus aesthetic. And similar to the previous, I'm 0% practical and 100% aesthetic. The description says, as an aesthetic person, you have, a, you have a love of the arts and appreciate a wide variety of cultural experiences. You enjoy anything that elevates your sense and reminds you of the beauty of the world. This trait is usually associated with intuition and to a lesser extent with feeling. The other half, practical people, appreciate things for the practical value and the ability to get the job done. They appreciate useful tools, handy gadgets, and they don't see a point in things that don't have a practical purpose. I think that is kind of, I don't know about this one, because I get a lot of like this similar sensation that something aesthetically pleasing um, gives. If I find something that's just really practical, that just works, that I haven't seen before, I get that same feeling. So this this facet section, I don't know, I don't know if they broke it down well, but I kind of get what they're going at. Um, you know, more so with, I think, a better way of putting it would be the aesthetic types are more of um, adventurous. Well, that's in the next section. I don't know. The the aesthetic types are more of the testers, while the practical types are more of the the doers and the stabilizers of maybe like a of a system. Um, as far as me being a hundred percent and zero based on these descriptions, I don't know about that one. I am very much aesthetic for sure, much more than practical. But they're like in my work and stuff. I like to be practical. I don't want to. I don't want to do more than necessary for no reason. And I'm always looking for ways to better, to be more proficient, you know, to be like proficiency. And I feel proficiency is like the, you know, the best way to be practical. Like it's, it's the upper echelon of practicality. But moving on again, uh, if I may, habitual versus adventurous. 24% habitual versus 76% uh, adventurous. As an adventurous person, you love new experiences. Very similar to the previous, yeah. These probably could have just been stuck together. Um, love new experiences. The more exotic, the better. That's accurate. I do really love experiences, and that's one of my biggest fears um, with my condition and my thinking of the future and in general, like, it's been throughout my life, and the older I get, the, you know, more intense this fear becomes, I realize. But it's a fear that I will be 
in unable or incapable of experiencing new things. Like, that's what I want my life to be about, is experience. And as a four, you know, it's kind of, it's fitting for a four as well, because fours have this known tendency for, um, exp- they they want to experience their feelings. Uh, all, all the feelings that they can. So it's very fitting uh, for me as an INFJ and an Ingram type four. Enneagram type four. Um, but anyway, you're often willing to try things just for the sake of novelty. Because even the most unlikely activities seem interesting once or twice. That's very true. On the other hand, you may get bored with experiences as they become routine. Also very true. And also a very... Um, easy segue into a connection with ADHD as people with ADHD tend to get bored with routine they struggle with it very ironic but you know also it like makes sense like all you know that's one thing that I learned in learning about one thing that I've seen in learning about myself is all these connections like you know and that's how I've become to justify and realize like yes I really am uh, an INFJ Yes, I really am an Enneagram type four. Yes, I really do have ADHD because like it just like they match up. You know, it's like it's like you have uh, tracing paper and you draw one item on it, you know, and you draw another item on it. It's all similar. Like you have like uh, you have some tracing paper and you draw a horse and then another person draws a horse and you draw another person draws a horse and you hold it up to put them. You stack them and hold them up to the light. And in it, you just see like you see a horse like it's a little distorted but it's obviously a horse you know and um it's kind of like that that's kind of like how it feels and that's kind of what gives me the reassurance to know that that i'm being intention that i'm being genuine and authentic and accurate and honest with myself in my pursuit of uh self-improvement and betterment but yeah it's very encouraging to to see this and read this and find this um, so yeah, I would always suggest looking out for that for yourself because I know it's tough. It It's really hard to accurately place yourself. It's one of the toughest things in the world um, per psychology. <laughs> um, but this trait is usually associated with, oh, sorry. You may find yourself abandoning hobbies and interests that begin to feel too familiar. And my hobbies are kind of like roller coasters, you know, like or hills and valleys. Like all, they fluctuate. I have a lot of them, and they fluctuate. So it's like when someone asks me, "What do you like to do?" or this, this, and that. Like I love to do. I like to do a lot of things. Just depends on the time, you know, the day, uh, where my interests are at that time, at that point in time. So it's really hard for me to answer questions like that. And really awkward. But, anyways, um, the other half of that habitual people, pretty obvious but people are habitual people are creatures of habit they enjoy familiarity comfortable experiences they do not need to like or they do not tend to like to venture for too far out of their comfort zone preferring instead us to stick with what they know and what they like and see no reason in wasting time with anything else and i've had a lot of friends like this and i've also seen um in some reddit INFJ, Myers-Briggs theories, uh, or typology, um, threads on Reddit, 
you know, people that fit the uh, the habitual, like, probably counter to what mine is, you know, where mine's 76, 24, theirs is, like, for sure, like, 24, 76. And um, it's very, like, I can understand it. And there's definitely times where I feel more habitual in nature than adventurous. But in general, I'm definitely more adventurous. That's very accurate. Um, and I'm glad that I am because sometimes I feel... Well, for me, I mean, maybe that's why, too. Because I am adventurous, I'm glad that I'm adventurous, you know? Um, because And I see how being overly habitual will make you stuck, and I don't want to be, like, I guess I have a fear of being stuck, but then, you know, it's probably because I'm adventurous, so. But moving on to the last, the, the, sorry, the last letter, the F, I'm wrong, sorry, the last letter is J, but, <laughs> INFJ, uh, the, the the fourth letter the third letter sorry this podcast got broken up into two days because my recorder broke so i'm trying to hold the continuity but i'm doing this over two different days thinking versus feeling this dimension describes your orientation to personal values you preference your preference for thinking over feeling can be thought of as your preference for head versus heart in your decision making this decision this dimension relates to you how you prioritize conflicting, conflicting values, and whether you tend to feel more comfortable relying on logic or reason, or emotions and personal judgments. Thinkers value logic, competence, and objectivity. They believe that every person has a responsibility to, to take care of him or herself. Feelers value empathy, cooperation, compassion. They believe everyone has a responsibility to take care of those around them. Now, one of the things for INFJ that I've seen, even in myself, um, and also seen in my research, is INFJ commonly mistype because they kind of, they juggle, and they they have a, have a competency for both thinking and feeling uh, very strongly. Um, no, it, it, it always depends person to person, you know, everyone is a little different, uh, so it's never 100%. You know, but for myself personally, I know that I tend if I'm stressed or feeling overly like overwhelmingly emotional, then I tend to sway towards thinking. Uh, if I'm in a toxic environment, I sway strongly towards thinking. However, if I'm content with where I am, if I'm you know feel a steady sense of happiness and purpose then I s definitely swing towards being more of a feeler. And so that can be very, very confusing. Uh, it's one of the bigger challenges for an INFJ is finding that balance between thinking and feeling because they are like polar opposites of each other. So having that kind of yin and yang within yourself, finding the yin, yin and yang basically, uh, between the two is is tough and it's a lifelong battle i i believe and i mean i'm definitely better at it than i used to be but it's also like it's a it's a two double-edged sword you know it's like you can't you can do both but at the same time you have to do both you know like your mind does both so there are times where it's useful and then there are times where it's an obstacle uh and that's just one thing that I've realized, and I'm sure a lot of other INFJ relate to. Um, yeah, sometimes I wish I was much less feeling, 
And sometimes I wish I was much less thinking. Um, and yeah, sometimes the coldness of the the apathy I know comes from that thinking. The apathy that I occasionally will feel uh, will come from that that thinking within myself. But to go further into it, thinkers are concerned with logic, using logic, reasoning, being unbiased, impartial, being unbiased and impartial, uh, considering costs and benefits, seeking consistency and justice, keeping a competitive edge, and making objective decisions. Act, uh, feelers are concerned with acting out ideals, engaging emotions, considering the impact on people, seeking harmony and appreciation, serving others, and making authentic decisions. And it's funny, and I know I struggle so much with making decisions because I do fall so much in between these two. Like, all of these are me at some point in time. In the right circumstances, I seek logical reasoning, being unbiased and impartial. You know, but then other times, I, I want to act out my ideals and engage in my emotions. And it's very much situational. And... It's very troublesome in finding direction in life when I feel a little lost or displeased, which is ironically common. Also, another uh, token of a uh, Enneagram type four is their like, chronic FOMO almost, chronic fear of missing out. Um, and to add to the percentiles for those two things, thinking 42, feeling 58. So, yeah, very close, very neck and neck with one another. Now that you understand your preference for feeling, sorry, uh, I'm trying to speed it up. This is going to be a little long, but you guys um, seem to, like, well, I got really good feedback on the first episode, so I'm going to not rush it too much and, and be clear and as concise as possible, but also give a good definition of, give a good explanation as I happen. Uh, so yeah, this, the facets of the value system, sorry, value styles based on thinking and feeling, um, subjective versus objective. I'm 60% subjective versus 40% objective. As a subjective person, you naturally take into account the needs of others. When making important decisions, you make sure that your your chosen course of action is consistent with your values and your knowledge about what's best for everyone involved. And that trait is usually associated with feeling. While excuse me, while other uh, while the other half, while objective people evaluate information impersonally, they tend not to be swayed by personal please, and believe that the best decisions treat everyone equally. Very ironic. And, um, yeah, 60-40, very close numbers as well. Uh, in line with the 58-42. Um, and, yeah, I feel like this is this right here is exactly what makes uh, INFJ really good counselors and friends and very good judges in unbiased 
situations particularly but even when they're biased as long as they're not too overly emotionally engaged in the situation they have very ra rational sound feedback and that makes them seem very mature uh intelligent and just like grounded and the reason that a lot of people seek out infj types as friends and confidants and that kind of thing the next sex, uh, the next facet is rational versus compassionate. Sixty four percent compassionate versus thirty six percent rational. You're very close to borderline in this facet. Rather than preferring one style strongly, you most likely blend both styles and may take a different approach depending on your mood or circumstances. This is uh, I don't know why they don't have this statement on many of the other uh, facets. But it's true for it's true for objectivity and subjectivity too. Uh, but yeah, that's that's very true. It's very dependent on mood and circumstances entirely. Uh, when you're being more rational, you keep your emotions in check and prefer to be around people who do the same. Very true. Vulnerability makes you uncomfortable, and you may avoid people who you perceive to to be weak or overly sensitive. Yeah, and there I remember there was a time that. Uh, not that long ago, <laughs> a, uh, a couple years ago, uh, yeah, a couple years ago, where I was really um, in trying to control my environment. I was really anti-emotionally burdensome people. And it's really cold for me to put people in that kind of perspective, but I was in a very rational frame of mind. And, you know, it is also kind of hypocritical because I can similarly be very emotional. But because of what I was going through, circumstantial, and, and the moods that I was in, I was struggling a lot with depression. Basically, I'd gone for almost over five years with no surgeries after having surgery once or twice a year from the age of four. And so my condition just progressed so severely that it was taking a toll not only on me physically, you know, in physical pain, but, you know, a lot of mental and emotional pain. And... I was overwhelmed and I, uh, yeah, and I just couldn't bear having any more emotional baggage. I couldn't take anyone else's. Normally I, I can and I want to, you know, but I, at that time I couldn't and I was, I was being very, very rational. Since then, and when I took this test, uh, you know, I've made steps in, you know, uh, over the last couple of years I had, oh, with this last one, I've had um 14 like maybe 12 or 13 12 or 13 operations within the past couple years to catch up and to better my physical self in an effort to also better my mental self you know and that was just the first step and now you know i started this month i started seeing a psychiatrist and working on my mental health you know as well as trying to better outside things you know like getting more you know, I found a stable living environment and arrangements when that was really hard. You know, I was renting rooms for years, bouncing around, you know, with crappy freaking landlords and crappy tenants and, you know, just un uh, far from ideal s situations, but doing what I had to to survive. And, you know, now I'm much better off and able to kind of share in that experience and hopefully give other people hope as well as still, you know, I'm still on that journey and there's still things that I, 
there's still some help that I need and there's still some things I need to correct and there's places I want to go and people I want to meet. So I'm working on that. Um, but anyways, and now, you know, of course you can tell that now my compassion has gone back up and my rationality has gone back down. Uh, when you're compassionate, when you're in compassionate mode, you identify with others' feelings and are sympathetic to others' suffering. You do not mind being around people, experiencing difficult emotions, and in fact, feel called to help and support. One second. My laptop went to sleep on me. Um, feel called to help and support people who are in trouble. And that's another thing, too, that it also kind of led to where I was a couple of years ago. Not entirely, but in my in my financial and st st stability, my, my financial and physical stability as far as like housing and a place to be, I know I realized that my call, a calling that I feel to support people when they're troubled can often get me in trouble because I do have these times where I just want to help. Like things are going decent, like decently for me and I want to help. Like if I have the ability I want to, like, I've had people help me in the past, and I continue to have people help me, so, I, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it feels so, it sounds, it feels so cliche, it feels so, like, commonplace to say, like, one of those things that people say and they mean, but they don't really mean, you know, but I genuinely, with every, with every fiber of my soul, <laughs> I, but I really do. I genuinely mean it. Like, m my heart feels like it's catching fire when I say it with, you know, the intensity that I hold. That I really want to make the world better and leave a positive impact. You know, my old bio used to be to die a legend. But, I mean, I still want to be, like, I want to be a legend, you know? Like, I, I want to leave a... I have ambitions that are too heavy to lift up. And to be honest, the responses I've been getting from this podcast thus far have really just inflamed those ambitions and given me hope that I may have... I didn't lose, but, you know, it, it's increased the amount that I have once again. Um, but, yeah, and uh, and that's, you know, again, a sign, uh, obvious showing of my compassion coming out. But... One step at a time, and we'll finish this podcast and move on to the next one before I get too far ahead of myself. The next section, uh, challenging versus agreeable. 59% challenging, 41% agreeable. You're close to the borderline, um, also on this facet. Rather than preferring one style strongly, you basically bounce back and forth. So when you're challenging mode, you enjoy a good de a good debate. And man, do I hear shit whenever I'm in that mode. People always fucking, oh, why do you want to argue? I don't want to argue. I want to debate. There's a big difference between an intellectual argument or a debate and these childish arguments that people get into where there's no substance to it. What I'm doing is trying to bring substance. You know, I play, tend to play devil's advocate. That's the biggest thing. In order to strike up, you know, thought and reflection and like 
But man, 99, not 99, 80% of the time it backfires and people just take it to heart. And then I look like a bad guy for quote unquote starting it. <laughs> but it's so, that's the thing about INFJ, the misunderstood, the type that is fears and feels most misunderstood is because we can't share intention, you know, like I, that, that would probably be the best power in the whole world is the ability to share intention. If you could legitimately share the intention, if we could find a way to communicate, to accurately and indiscriminately share or read intention, even though there's a lot of, there's potential danger in intention, of course, but I feel it would alleviate a lot of problem. It would, it, it would clear up a lot of the shadiness of society as it is now, for sure. And better a lot of relationships. And clear up a lot of communication errors. But tis the challenge of being human. Uh, but yeah, I wish I could get, show my intention, but I can't. And therefore, I'm often misunderstood when I try to do that. And then you, you know, you try to explain it beforehand and you just sound freaking awkward and weird and like, why are you overthinking so much? But anyways, enough of that rant. Um, so much so, yeah, so you enjoy a good debate. So much so that you, even when you agree with someone, you might play devil's advocate. Ironic. <laughs> uh, you might play devil's advocate just to stimulate the discussion. You don't shy away from conflict and you even find it exciting. Very true. And sometimes I feel a little sadistic or masochistic or like a little bit of an antagonist in life when that happens. But I, I kind of like the feeling. When you're feeling more agreeable, you do your best to make others' lives easy and to adapt their needs when you can. You tend to argue, you, tend, you don't tend to argue as you have a talent for seeing things from another person's point of view. Even when you don't agree, you support other people in their opinions. And yeah, I can definitely be this way. But I'm definitely much more challenging now than I used to be. I was probably much more agreeable than I used to be. I'm probably much less agreeable than I used to be, but I think that's typical for age, especially in in men. Not to be too gendering, but with people in general, I know you know it's a it's a tendency to get as you get older, you get a little more, a little your walls increase. Uh, you get a little colder, and you become a little less agreeable. You you realize you have to stand up for yourself sometimes, and. And then you find people you care about and you want to stand up for them. So that also takes you being less agreeable. So it's, uh, it's fitting for me, for sure. Uh, the next one, individualist. Individualist, I don't know why I said it like that, versus helpful. You're very close to the borderline on this one as well. When you're an individualist, you're not, particular, you're not particularly nurturing and appreciate being surrounded by people who can take care of themselves. You tend to have and every man for himself philosophy, and you dislike having helpless people depend on you. This happens most when I have to work on a team, and primarily in work. And it's really difficult, because how do you, how, do, like, as an INFJ, you crave connection with other people, and you need it to, to be your best self. So uh, how can I work, like, but then at the same time, you work on a team, and more often than not, you know, it's not going to be the dream team. There's going to be some people that you having to carry. And I just get tired of having to carry people. It's, and, and I get tired of having to carry people and getting nothing of it. You know, 
from the people I should. And so, you know, my my consistency in my work reflects this a lot of times. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see this in myself. I'm typically not like this. But yeah, in in more professional or structured environments, I tend to be this way. Versus help helpful. When you're feeling helpful, you call you are called to care for others with their less fortunate, less capable oh sorry, that are less fortunate or less capable than yourselves. You enjoy providing for others and are often drawn to children, the elderly and others who can benefit for from you from your help. This trait is usually associated with feeling. And yeah, I very much feel that way and as a big influence in me starting this podcast and, and in a lot of what a lot of my future ambitions. Definitely is that helpful side of me. It's uh, 57 versus uh, 43, if I didn't say so before. But individual is 43, helpful 53, 57. Um, I realized too, though, sometimes it, it said uh, you feel called to care for people that are less fortunate or less capable than you are. And I have this really, like, phobia of pity. I don't want to pity people. And at the same time, I don't want to be pitied. More so, I don't want to be pitied. Um, I know that's kind of, I don't know, it's a weird weird thing, but to to just uh, to just divulge a little, I was speaking with someone today and realized how sometimes I see, like I have a talent for writing and I guess for speaking too. <laughs> um, and I was just telling them like how, how it happens, how it just comes to me. And as that happened, uh, I realized you know kind of had an epiphany moment small epiphany moment where i realized that because it comes so naturally to me i i don't really see it as as a one-up on other people you know like i guess i devalue it as as an i didn't i didn't see it not devalue it but i didn't see it as a gift i guess in a way i do devalue it too i didn't see it as much of a as as much of a gift as it probably is um and for that reason, you know, like, similarly, most of the time, I don't really see people as less fortunate or less capable than me. Because I have so many struggles. I'm like, man, the majority of people are much more capable and much more fortunate than I am. And, you know, I'm not, I try not to, you know, I don't want to be stuck in that, in that, on, on that perspective even though I, I feel it's true, it doesn't disqualify me from anything. I also feel that's very true. And even if they... And similarly, I feel like there are people that have a lot of... Like, that are more... Maybe less fortunate or capable, but only because... Only by choice. You know, only because they continue to make stupid decisions or continue to put themselves in bad environments or continue to, you know not hold themselves accountable. Um and so yeah, it just drew to drew to drew to thought, drew to consideration that idea that maybe maybe sometimes I have it a little better than I think I do. And one, I should be more willing to well, yeah, one one I should be more accepting of others, but I always, you know, ponder that in my mind and it's always something that for the most part I'm very accepting of other people anyways. You know, I I have my times where 
like like I said, I just don't want to be around anyone. I become more individualistic. Um, but generally, I you know want to be beneficial to others and lift uh, you know lift people up. But um, second, the 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 other thing was that I need to value myself, value my own personal skills and abilities more. And this podcast has really helped me see that as well. And and the starting results from it and you know feedback and reactions really helped me to see things that I've you know things that others have seen along the way you know I've been told a lot of these things a lot of times it's just I guess putting putting myself out there and making myself vulnerable and seeing it come back well is in almost in an almost ideal manner is really it's crazy and kind of awakening it's just the circumstances of it that really change the reception of similar words and reactions to uh, those I've had before in the past and then to I guess where I am now and what I'm looking to accomplish and you know what I'm trying to do but uh if I may the next section uh self-reliant versus cooperative this is very circumstantial also but I'm 66% cooperative versus 34% self-reliant as a cooperative person, you like to work in concert with others, participating to achieve a common goal, be in sync with other people. And a lot of this has to do, too, with the responses I've been getting from my podcast, I know. Well, I take that back because I took this a while back. But uh, a lot of this has to do, these ratings have to do with my, the betterment of my environment. But I'm sure that these ratings are even more so closer to the truth because of the responses I've been getting. And I thank you guys. Uh, self-reliant people prefer not to depend on other people, don't mind striking out on their own, and they don't need to the approval of others to decide on their course of action. Yeah, it really depends. Um, very depends. I think INFJ tend to, in tougher scenarios, they tend to kind of want the reassurance of someone they really care about or look up to. Um but then if, like for me, there's been moments in life where I just felt alone. Like, no one really showed genuine, intentional care towards me in a manner at least that I was willing to receive on terms, on, on a, not terms, but like a time scale that I felt was real. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but... Um, but yeah, and in those times, you know, I was very self-reliant. There, yeah, I was very self-reliant. I struck out, struck, uh, striking out on their own. I, you know, freaking uh, 2017, I got kicked out of my parents. Well, yeah, I got kicked out. <laughs> we had an argument. My mom said, you have 24 hours to leave. I'm pretty sure it was just a, a dumb one of those, you know, under my thumb moments, but I mean, fuck, Sky, excuse me. I, I don't know, I'm apologizing. Anyways, but uh, me being extremely stubborn myself, said, okay. So I, you know, grabbed my stuff, called a friend, loosely friend, and moved out that day. And that day I decided that uh, I was moving to California. And it was like a month and a half later, 
I threw everything in storage within that month and a half and flew out to California, turned in my notice at work, and and here we, and I've been here since. So very much willing to strike out on my own. And of course, I I had a place to land here um, that got that got shook up, but uh, and was temporary, but. It was a start, and it definitely enabled me to at least start. So I am happy for that. Uh, the final is uh, tough versus tolerant. I know this is also very circumstantial. 34% uh, tough, 36% uh, tolerant. As a tolerant person, you believe that everybody makes mistakes. Everybody deserves forgiveness, and most often you give people the benefit of the doubt. Even when they do something to hurt you, it's important to preserve your relationship, even if it requires you to let something slide. That trait is usually associated with feelings. Uh, the motto for tough people, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. When people disappoint, when people disappoint them, they don't hesitate to cut them off. They might forgive, but they'll never forget. And this is very true for INFJ with the door slam, but... You really have to hurt them, or and most often repetitively hurt them in a severe manner, or betray them, um, for that to happen. It's very hard for me to do. I, I think it. Some people are very. Some INFJs are much quicker to pull the trigger on that. For me, it's very difficult. Um, I think a lot of times too, I like halfway pull the trigger, not fully, <laughs> and then kind of go back. You know, kind of like I close the door and lock it, but I keep the key. You know, I don't throw the key away. Um, just in case, <laughs> but you know, yeah. So the last section, judging versus perceiving. This dimension of personality describes how you manage your life. Your preference for perceiving versus judging has to do with your orientation towards structure, schedules, deadlines, and organization. It also has to do with how you tend to manage that, uh, your time and approach, uh, how you, yeah, how you tend to manage your time and approach the work that you have to do. Perceivers like freedom, spontaneity, and they have a carefree attitude towards life and would rather be flexible than structured. While judges like structure and order, they keep organized and plan ahead, resist distractions, and stay focused on their goals. Uh, perceivers prefer to follow the whims of the moment, make the rules up as they go, have the freedom to be flexible, brainstorm options, do things with inspiration, strikes, go with the flow and enjoy surprises. Sorry, do things with expiration, inspiration strikes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bad, like, uh, dic dictator? I'm a bad reader sometimes. Uh, create a plan and stick to it. Uh, judges like to create a plan and stick to it. Uh, see a task through to completion. Adhere to schedules. Set goals. Maintain focus. Follow rules and regulations. And set clear expectations. Uh, my percentiles for these two are 70% judging versus 30% perceiving. And definitely by these, by this, uh, very much a judger or a judge. Um, yeah, and in my relationships with a lot of perceivers, sometimes they're tough, 
the craziness, the spontaneity of them is is difficult. It's it's good from a distance, but when I'm close to them, and we're good friends, and like uh, I dated one, and for me, like I think for a lot of INFJ, it works out really well. It's like ENFP are like a match made in heaven for a lot of INFJ, or at least one of the types that tend to be a match made in heaven. They're like the opposites attract type for INFJ, but for me, man, I for. For dating and extreme closeness, I, for dating, I don't know if it would work. It would work for me. Maybe a different person. I don't know. Um, I'm still friends with this person, and I care about them very much, you know. But just thinking, well, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Perceive the per- getting it. There's something about perceivers that's just hard for me, and I think it is a lot of the spontaneity, and it's my need, and my desire for structure. And stability and set goals and a focus, shared focus, um, at least basic, um, that kind of causes a little conflict from time to time, interrupts the harmony of that relationship. But I can see it also, you know, working as like ironing, iron sharpening iron, and it could be beneficial for both parties. It's, it's all very dependent on the person, the people themselves. Uh, the facets of this, there's only five, so the facets of judging and perceiving are relaxed versus orderly. As an orderly, per, uh, 70% orderly versus 30% relaxed. As an orderly person, you have an appreciation for the structure and order of your life, in your life. Uh, and you like to stay organized. You believe in a place for everything and everything in its place. This trait is usually associated by judging. The other half, for, uh, the other half relaxed, People appreciate the chaos in life. They dislike very orderly, structured environments, feeling that uh, life is more interesting when things are a little messy. And yeah, that kind of like... It, it, in small doses, yes. But the idea on paper gives me apprehension. <laughs> I don't like it in general. I would much prefer something be orderly as opposed to chaotic um and the best i can do is like controlled chaos but it has to be a chaos that i um i have to be able to acclimate to that chaos if i don't have time then man it it, it really stresses me out the next uh facet is scheduled versus spontaneity or spontaneous basic same thing as a scheduled person you keep a daily schedule and like to organize your time well in advance, as you know, so you know what you'll be doing and when. You dislike last-moment changes to your plans, and especially a poor lateness. This is this is really pretty true. I'm 64 and 36, or 64% schedule. Um, yeah, uh, that's accurate. I mean, I can accept some, but for the most part, yes, very much. On the other half, spontaneous people uh, dislike having time schedules, prefer instead to go with the flow and do what they feel they like doing at any given time on impulse. And the last facet here is casual versus conscientious. 73% conscientious, 27% casual. As a conscientious person you are hardworking and like to take care of your responsibilities before you let yourself have fun 
You believe strongly in the importance of fulfilling your duties, and you never try to weasel out of a task that is your responsibility. Whereas, uh, on the other half, casual people are fun-loving and feel that life is to be enjoyed. Uh, They try to avoid taking on too many responsibilities that may get in the way of their enjoyment in life. And I can see, like, for me, yes, very conscientious. But there is a level to it, and I need some uh, casualness in in my in my day to day. Yeah, I need some casualness even in my day to day. And this this area too makes me think about how a lot of I think I don't know if it's true. But I've noticed that, and I feel like a lot of INFJ types can also be typed as an Enneagram type 1. If they are extremely conscious, like if they fall very extremely on this judging portion, um, extremely conscientious and scheduled, like even more so than me apparently. Because, and I feel a a lot of times I can relate, not relate, well yeah, relate and have a kind of interest in type 1s. Because they, from what I know, they tend to be very organized and like one to fulfill like fulfillment fulfill obligations and their duties and you know duty focused and you know like they're the consistent type the reliable type and they're like strong fo- focus on getting things done uh, I envy sometimes, and I feel like having someone like that. And I've had similar people in my life before, and I I often am in awe of them, and kind of um, have gawked over them in the past because I I need that in my life. I, I I want that in my life, you know, like not overly severe, but it definitely helps balance out the messier side of me that I wish was a little more organized and a little more together. This poem is called Emotion. Emotion, emotion, a violent ocean, both beautiful and repulsive you are. Feeling, oh feeling, you send my mind reeling, and deceptive in nature by far. Hope, oh hope, you stand like the Pope, and we hold faith that you are true. Dreams, oh dreams, shine bright like sunbeams, as I pray you will shine through.